you know, time has moved on. I'm now a, a pastor. I found the nerve during a period of sobriety to start a church. Uh, shortly thereafter, with all the pressures of the ministry, uh, the, the power of that medication was too great for me to resist. And I was back into my secret porn behavior. And then a few years into the ministry, it got worse. On a, uh, on a Christmas Eve, on my way to lead a candlelight service in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, I pulled over to offer a young woman a ride out of the rain not knowing what she was doing until she was in the car and propositioning me. That was the first time I ever paid a prostitute for sex. That was Nate Larkin sharing with us a powerful story of redemption, forgiveness, and restoration. His story. Many of us can relate to the secret double life that he was living apart from his friends, from his wife, and from his church. Many of us need the kind of restoration that came from his cry for help in his brokenness. In this podcast episode, Nate Larkin shares with us his journey of overcoming sexual immorality and demonstrates our need for meaningful, redemptive relationships in order to grow. This is the Overcoming Porn Podcast. Let's cue the intro music. Welcome to the Overcoming Porn Podcast, where it's all about helping you flee temptation, overcome porn, and live in lasting victory over sexual sin from a biblical perspective. Produced by the Titus II Institute. everyone and welcome to the show. My name is George from the Titus II Institute and we are a ministry dedicated to building up the next generation through counseling, coaching, and building online schools. And this is episode 23 of the Overcoming Porn podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you overcome pornography and sexual immorality from a biblical perspective. And I want to thank you for taking the time to listen in, brothers, uh, if we have been a blessing to you in any way, uh, if you could please leave us a nice review on Apple iTunes or give us a follow or like on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, that would be a true blessing to us. And brothers, today we have an amazing episode for you where we, where I am interviewing Nate Larkin. And um, he is a man with an amazing testimony and an amazing God. Uh, he led a uh, secret double life uh, as a pastor and as a businessman for many years where it got to the point where he was even regularly uh, paying for sex from prostitutes when he was in a, a marriage relationship. But brothers, our God is good. And in his incredible grace, uh, he has given Nate an amazing story of redemption and restoration and healing. Uh, it has not been easy for either him or his wife, but the Lord has brought them through it. Uh, Nate Larkin is a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary, and now he is the founder of the Samson Society, a fellowship of Christian men who challenge each other daily to believe the incredible news that God actually knows us, loves us, and has restored us in himself. And uh, he is also a popular speaker and author of, an, of inspirational books for men, such as Samson and the Pirate Monks, um, Calling Men to Authentic Brotherhood. And you can find him at samsonsociety.com, where you can actually join one of his uh, online uh, groups where they uh, seek to authentically walk with each other um, and spur each other on in the Christian life. And I'm so excited to bring his story and to bring him on our show. 
so that he can share with us all that God has done in his life and he can encourage us, uh, all of us who are out there, many of us can relate to this feeling of living a double life, of trying to hide your tracks, of trying to live one life uh, at church or at home and another life in secret. And he is an amazing testimony as to you know how God can heal uh, in the most broken of places, in the most darkest of times. God will be there for us. So before we get into it, brothers, I just wanted to let you know that we do have a free resource called the Overcoming Porn Blueprint, and it is the four areas of attack. It's a free resource that's detailing the four areas of attacks that, that you need to employ in order to be in the best position to overcome pornography. And right now you can get it with a free 10-day email companion course. Uh, and you can find this at titus2institute.com. That's titus with the number 2institute.com forward slash blueprint. So be sure to get that right away. And brothers, here is our interview for the uh, Overcoming Porn podcast, episode 23 with Nate Larkin of the Samson Society. Today, you know, we have such an amazing guest that uh, I'm I'm excited to interview today. His name is Nate Larkin, and how are you doing today, Nate? Oh, I'm doing I'm doing great. Uh, for an old guy, I'm doing all right. Yeah, <laughs> that's good, Nate. Well, thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. And uh, you know, before we get into what we're going to be talking about today, why don't you share with the uh, listeners a bit about yourself, whether that is vocationally or personally? Well, let me see. I am, uh, I'm a porn survivor. I'm a grandfather, a husband. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I live in Nashville, Tennessee with my wife, Allie. We'll be married 43 years in May, it is an absolute miracle that our marriage has survived, and uh, I, I feel like the most fortunate and most deeply loved man on the planet. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord for how he has brought you through. Uh, well, yeah. um, for those of you who don't know Nate, he has an amazing story to share with us, and he's going to get into more about why it's such a an amazing thing that his marriage has survived 41 years. Uh, but so why don't we begin there, Nate? Uh, why don't you uh, begin with your story with pornography and where that led you? Yeah, you know, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad was actually a pastor and I was set on the path toward uh, vocational ministry from the time I was a child because church was always something I was good at. Uh so I was surprised when I first encountered porn uh, as a teenager in the in the in the form of a Playboy magazine. Nobody had warned me that porn even existed. Uh, nobody told me that every boy uh, eventually sees porn. Uh, every boy instinctively likes porn because there's it depicts something that we're wired by God to want. Uh, I I knew from the moment I saw it that it was bad, but I didn't know why it was bad. Uh, and these days really in talking, especially high school and college age kids, I have to make the case that porn is bad because, uh, for a lot of people, uh, you know, the porn industry has sold itself so well that there are a lot of people who believe that it's harmless or even helpful. Porn's destructive on so many levels, but to me, probably it's most pernicious property is that, that porn uh, offers, uh, you know, an imaginary connection to a virtual person. It offers intimacy, closeness. Uh, and if we accept that offer, we begin at that moment to, to lose the capacity to create and sustain a real relationship with an actual person. Porn actually erodes our ability to connect with other people. And it's been so well said recently, the opposite of addiction really is not uh, sobriety. It is connection. We were made to connect. Uh, but I learned to connect through my imagination as a, as a kid. And I would suppose it was a normal curiosity and fascination during my teenage years. 
I thought that the problem would disappear when I got married. I thought it was about sex. Uh, porn addiction really is not about sex. Uh, it's, it's about intimacy. It's about connection. Uh, and, uh, but I did not know how really to connect with my wife on a deep emotional level. And, uh, you know, by the time I, I married, uh, you know, my sexual imagination had been polluted to the point where no woman on the planet was ever going to meet the expectations for sex that pornography had built. And uh, I found that my uh, problem did not disappear. It metastasized. Uh, I felt very, very guilty about that, desperate about that. And then it took a darker turn while we were at seminary. I was at Princeton Seminary, and it was there on a seminary-sponsored trip to New York City uh, for the purpose of showing us how women are exploited by the sex business that I saw hardcore porn for the first time, the kind of stuff that any unsupervised eight-year-old can find in minutes today on the Internet I saw for the first time as a married man in a peep show booth in Times Square with my wife beside me. I brought her along on the trip, this educational trip. Uh, you know, Allie was disgusted by what she saw. I was too, but at the same time, uh, it hooked me deep. There was a, I was fascinated in ways that I did not understand. One thing I didn't know, I now understand, uh, the moving images of uh, filmed porn, movie porn, uh, are far more powerful than the still images that I'd encountered up to that point in the glossy magazines. They actually stimulate a part of the brain that cannot distinguish between real experience and simulated experience. Uh, so highly addictive. And within days, I was, you know, leaving home and seminary to look for a new source for this drug, which, and it really is, for me, porn became my drug. I'd you know, never been a drugger, but baby, I had found a very powerful drug. Um, I fought that. It was a secret of mine. You know, I, I didn't go in it blithely. I would leave after every episode uh, disgusted, uh, disappointed, you know, shamed, hating myself, pledging to stop. That would be the last time. I was caught in the cycle of addiction, didn't understand it. So uh, I could sometimes quit for days, perhaps a few times, even weeks at a time, especially after some kind of a spiritual encounter uh, where I'd made some new pledge, found some new formula of uh, Bible reading, prayer, whatever I was going to do that was going to keep me safe. Uh, but always in this solo fight, I would wind up back in the adult bookstores, which is where I found my porn back in the days before the internet. It was during one period of what I thought was sobriety. It was really abstinence. Uh, you know, time has moved on. I'm now a, a pastor. I found the nerve during a period of sobriety to start a church. Uh, shortly thereafter, with all the pressures of the ministry, uh, the power of that medication was too great for me to resist, and I was back into my secret porn behavior. And then a few years into the ministry, it got worse. On a, uh, on a Christmas Eve, on my way to lead a candlelight service in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, I pulled over to offer a young woman a ride out of the rain, not knowing what she was doing until she was in the car and propositioning me. That was the first time I ever paid a prostitute for sex. Uh, I can't say that the sex was good. Uh, you know, commercial sex is, uh, you know, without that connection is never what God intended. It's pleasure never reaches what we wishes, wish it would. But at the same time, uh, I was now hooked and shamed at a deeper level. And so began, you know, secret, uh, you know, more secret behavior. I finally abandoned the ministry about a year later just couldn't stand myself, couldn't live with my own hypocrisy any longer, and was terrified of being caught. So I quit the ministry, went into business, uh, where I uh, unfortunately now had a lot more money than I'd ever made in the ministry and even less accountability. 
And even though uh, I remained very active in church and sincere in my Christian faith, uh, what followed was a very dark dozen years. I was leading two lives and working very hard to keep them separate and very successfully. Uh, I was, you know, I loved church. I really did. In church, I could imagine that I was the person I wanted to be. At church, I could fight my way to forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Um, I, I, I really had what I now kind of view as a separate persona. I call that person Saint Nate. Was the person I wanted to be and the person I thought God loved. And I, a Saint Nate could breathe at church. I just couldn't get him to breathe for very long outside the building, which was very disappointing. Uh, at any rate, on down the road, 20 years of marriage, uh, Allie and I make the move to Middle Tennessee to be close to our first grandchild. It was here that my wife uh, caught me. She had, I had confessed at an earlier time struggles with pornography, but she really was confronted with it here. And uh, it was there on one dark night that she said the words I'll never forget. She said, I'm done. She said, I love you, but I don't like you. I don't trust you. I don't respect you. And I don't think you can ever change. And it was those, those were the words that saved my life, really. Uh, and I'm not, uh, that, that's not an uncommon experience. I'm told that four out of five guys who seek help for sexually compulsive behavior only do so after receiving an ultimatum from a wife or a girlfriend. I'm one of the four, and it was uh, Allie's unwillingness uh, to continue in, uh, you know, a fraudulent relationship that, you know, that and my desperation to preserve the only friendship I had that drove me to my first 12-step meeting where I encountered a level of safety and a level of honesty and humility that I'd never encountered during all my years at church. Uh, and, uh, you know, what followed really was a, a, a revolution, a re I, I, I would say a resurrection of my spiritual life. By the time I made it into that first meeting, I was just going through the motions at church. Uh, God hadn't answered my repeated requests for a private solution to my private problem. I think I had more or less concluded that either uh, God didn't care or he didn't exist. Uh, but here, uh, in the lives of other broken men, uh, in their words, in their in, in our relationships, in our conversations, uh, I found uh, God again, really. Uh, I, I encountered Christ in the body of Christ, really is how it worked. Now, was this a Christian 12-step group, or was this just one that you found elsewhere? Yeah, this was a, this was a, a straight-out, flat-out 12-step group, which is uh, deliberately non-sectarian. However, I was living in uh, just south of Nashville, Tennessee, in the buckle of the Bible Belt. So most of the guys in the meeting were Christians. Uh, most of us were trying to somehow put together what we knew to be true about the gospel with what we were experiencing as true in this way of living. Uh, so, you know, the first sponsor I chose was a Christian. Um, and I had the good fortune also that we joined a good church uh, where the gospel was proclaimed on a weekly basis. And I got an introduction to the gospel of grace that I had somehow missed during a very legalistic Christian upbringing. Uh, and to have that at the same time I was encountering grace and truth, getting not just teaching, but coaching in a 12-step environment, uh, they just knit together beautifully. Uh, eventually, I, you know, I, I shared my story with my pastor. He began to introduce me to other guys, send other guys my way, and a a few years later, we started a group specifically for Christians, not a 12-step group, but one that kind of carried the principles and the spirit of 12-step without abandoning Christian vocabulary or Christian commitment. And uh, yeah, so we started the Samson Society from there. Wow. 
That's amazing. Thank you for sharing um, your story and what you yeah. went through and how God has been working in your life. Um, I want to just ask a quick follow-up question with regards to your wife, mm. Allie, when she told you that she was done. Um, yeah. Did she? Did you confess to her or did she catch you? Um, and what happened yeah. afterwards? Yeah, no, she caught me looking at porn that night. Uh, you know, I had not looked at porn in a while, but we were running out of money and I was getting scared. And, you know, that night after she fell asleep, I had slipped out of bed and gone to my office and started downloading porn. And it was there that she woke up to an empty bed and went to investigate. And she caught me. Uh, that really was, that wasn't the terminal point. It was, a, it was a week or so later when she found a condom on the floor in the bathroom that I couldn't quite explain. Uh, by then, you know, porn inevitably led to massage parlors, prostitutes, something like that. Uh, that's where the, that's where the behavior went. And, uh, it, it was at that point that she just said, now it was actually, uh, we didn't have any help with disclosure at that point. And it would actually be about th three years later before, uh, Allie, learned by then I'd, I'd told dozens and dozens of guys and I'd told our adult children, but I had not yet told her the degree to which I had been physically unfaithful. She was, uh, and uh, I wish now one of my great regrets, uh, I, I wish that we had had help navigating disclosure earlier. It's almost like she got hit twice. Uh, but by the time she learned about the prostitutes, uh, she at least had seen evidence, un unmistakable evidence of change in my life. And that, although she was hurt and angry and we still had a couple more years of white water to navigate, she at least had enough faith in the process not to abandon the marriage. Mm. How did she get through all of those years where she knew that you had been involved in this stuff? You know, what she says is what, one of the things that really helped her was she was, she was in a group uh, at church, a Bible study at church, a group called Gospel Transformation. She was in it for three years uh, in which uh, the participants, all women, were given an assignment at the beginning of the of the year. Well, first of all, uh, the assignment was they were to ask God that God would show them their own sin. Then there was a sharing time every week where they were not allowed to talk about husbands, boyfriends, children, anybody else. They were only allowed to talk about themselves. Um, and I... Th uh, Allie says that uh, her experience of grace in her own life and an awakening to her own need gave her margin to give me a little bit of grace, uh, to give me grace. Uh, she really came to believe that she and I are both sinners in equal need of grace. Uh, now, uh, meanwhile, I have a, had a whole lot to learn about my own sin, because I really thought when I got into recovery that my only sin really was sexual, that everything else is pretty much fine. If we could just fix this, you know, I'm pretty much five-star material. Completely unaware of how self-centered and controlling and fear-based and dismissive and arrogant <laughs> I am. Uh, and I, I remember quite clearly, you know, my first sponsor after I did a first step saying, Nate, you know what your biggest problem is? Your biggest problem is you think that sex is your problem. And I looked at him like he was nuts. I said, what do you, <laughs> uh, he said, well, it's a problem. It's a big problem. You can't solve it on yourself, uh, by yourself. God's going to have to do it. He'll probably use us in the process. But if you think that just solving that problem is going to fix you or make you happy, you're crazy. If anything, if you are successful in tying that down and nothing else changes, 
you will be more miserable and more miserable be around than you are now. You know, my, my, my ambition when I entered recovery was to become a successful Pharisee. And, you know, the enemies of the gospel, those who put to death the Son of God, were those whose outward behavior was perfectly disciplined and they were blind to their own sin. Uh, and I found that even as my sexual behavior improved, I became more and more aware of my own brokenness and my own need for healing. Mm. Mm. Great. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. And that is truly amazing how God gave your wife the grace to persevere mm. in, in your marriage. Um, so with regards to you going through this you know, 12-step program, uh, describe the change that you were experiencing, you know, what was happening, you know, how long did this take? Was this just instantaneous or was this <laughs> over many years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I was a champion slipper for the first three years. Um, yeah. Sometimes I would hit up a massage parlor on my way to the meeting, uh, leave a little early because I knew I wouldn't go after the meeting. Uh, I was negotiating with the uh, with the sobriety definition, uh, you know, the definition they uh, offered was no sex with self or partners other than the spouse. I was signing on to part two, but was hanging on to start up to part one because I really thought at that point that sex is a need, not just a desire, but a fundamental need to me, you know, as 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 vital as my need for air and water. More important than food, more important than sleep. Uh, I for you know I was willing to forgo almost anything for sex, and I really thought I needed it, and I would die without it. And I and during periods of enforced abstinence, not recovery, but abstinence, because that was a core belief. I suffered terribly, emotionally and physically, because I really believed that without. Uh, you know, a, a, a periodic orgasms. I, I don't know. I was going to explode or wither away or die or something. Uh, and then in recovery, I met men. Uh, first of all, I was confronted with the fact that there are there have been many men down through Christian history, from Jesus himself to the apostles. Some of the apostles, not married, not sexually active, fully human, fully alive, uh, led rich and rewarding lives. So. Sex is a gift, and it's a gift that is given to some, but not to all. Uh, but it's not necessary for happiness. I, I was going to the wrong well. Uh, when I actually shifted my belief uh, and recategorized sex uh, out of the need category and into the gift uh, and made it optional, truly optional, my suffering ceased, really. <laughs> uh, uh, abstinence then was no longer painful uh, and I wasn't feeling deprived moment to moment That was, but I fought that change uh, I somehow thought that I was depriving myself of something you know and those were those years when I was sleeping in a closet I mean Allie didn't leave but, uh, but I'll tell you what it was strained around the house it was hard. She was hurting. She was suffering severe betrayal trauma. Uh, and, uh, but, but so learning that, that sex is optional and then, you know, having some help doing the work of, you know, character examination, learning to admit my faults. You know, Allie said, People ask Allie sometimes, how, when did she start to believe that maybe this was real? She'd seen me turn over countless leaves and made so many promises to change in all those years. She knew my intention was there, but she didn't think I had the ability to change. And she said that um, she began to think that maybe it was real when I became less defensive. Uh, up until that time, because I, you know, I, I wanted... I was so sensitive to criticism. Any suggestion that anything I'd done was less than perfect or less than right 
would provoke in me a very quick response, defensive, and sometimes a counterattack. Uh, and, uh, but then you get into step four where you're doing a, uh, you know, a full moral inventory. I remember sitting down with Allie on the front, asking for her help on the front, saying, look, I have to do an inventory of my uh, a moral inventory assets and liabilities. Uh, I think I'm pretty clear on my strengths, but I'm struggling with my weaknesses and my defects. Uh, can you help me? And uh, she kind of sensed that there was, you know, she, she wasn't, she didn't jump into that quicksand. She didn't know how I'd respond. But when, you know, she, she suggested, well, you, you, you're pretty arrogant. And my response was, please tell me more about that. Um, and then to learn that if I don't, once we get out of a legalistic system, when I don't have to build and defend my own righteousness anymore, when it's not about my righteousness at all, when uh, my security is based on somebody else's righteousness, then I don't need to defend myself against anything. That's a tremendous liberty. And it also gives me an opportunity to far more clarity, a much more realistic assessment of, you know, who I actually am, what I have to offer and where I need help. The other thing is very difficult for me in recovery and remains difficult to this day. I, I, I fight it on a daily basis. I don't like to ask for help. I like to help. I'm a helper. I joined the helping professions. I love to give advice. I don't like to ask for advice. I love to give assistance. Um, but um, learning to ask for help, learning to accept help, uh, being forced to join the human race, to become just another bozo on the bus, that has been huge for me. One of the things we say in the Samson Society is that on any given day, Every Christian needs help and every Christian has some help to give. When we can get into that flow, life changes. Wow. That's amazing. And that is uh, definitely a good segue into talking about the Samson Society. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that you serve with that ministry that you helped start it. Uh, so tell me about why you started this ministry and what you guys do. Yeah, well, we wanted, uh, we wanted, first of all, we wanted a, a group that would be explicitly Christian. Sometimes in the 12-step meetings, people look at us funny when we named God or Jesus, and, you know. We want to be able to, uh, yeah, so. And also, um, I would take guys to the 12-step meetings because I found so much uh, health and freedom there, but not every guy related because the familiar Christian language wasn't there. Other guys just weren't sex addicts. So uh, the Samson Society, by the way, is not a group for porn addicts or sex addicts. Guys like me are welcome, but sex addiction is no requirement for membership. It helps, but it's not required. So we have guys who come to Samson. We don't segregate. We do, what we say is we don't segregate by sin. So we've got guys who, who come uh, because their primary battle is with alcohol or drugs or with uh, rage or with gambling or with eating. Uh, we have guys who's it's really a wounding that's brought them there. Guys come to Samson because of a lifelong struggle with anxiety and depression. The one thing that we have in common is that we all know loneliness. We all have lived in isolation. And Samson is simply a safe place for come, us to come, bring our real selves, say the real truth, find real friends. <laughs> and we kind of describe ourselves as a bunch of idiots all walking in the same direction. So uh, our trust is in Jesus. And uh, we see that as we're willing to walk in the light as he is in the light, uh, we have real fellowship with each other a kind of connection that we didn't find in the men's fellowships that were part of the churches we grew up in. You know, this kind of, you know, towel snapping, arm punching, how you doing brother, pancake breakfast level brotherhood, but something far deeper. Um, 
it, we have real conversations on a daily basis, not about religions and sports and politics. Uh, you know, we'll get around to those eventually. But what we're talking about is what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking of doing. And uh, yeah, and those groups have gone online. Uh, fortunately, we started, uh, we were introduced to Zoom a year or so before the pandemic. So we knew what we were doing when it hit. Uh, so now guys from all around the globe, uh, join meetings. We now there are meetings, not just in English, but in Italian, French, and Spanish, Russian soon to come. And we find a lot of therapists, uh, refer guys to Samson because it's, it's free for one thing, and it's good support between sessions. We do strongly advise all our guys to seek the help of knowledgeable Christian therapists uh, and to take a cocktail approach to recovery. We're not the be-all, end-all. But this connection with friends is so vital to recovery that I think anybody in recovery has got to find some something like Samson. Some daily, uh, you know, trustworthy friendship. I don't think recovery is something any of us can do alone. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And it seems like, you know, men these days are more isolated than ever. And yeah. a lot of us find difficulty in sustaining and cultivating, you know, meaningful relationships with other yeah. men. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, can you speak to a bit about what these relationships look like and kind of what the benefits are? Because, I mean, it's all fine and dandy to cast out this vision that, you know, yeah, yeah. Samson yeah. Society or this group is going to be an authentic brotherhood and yeah, we're going to yeah. share the real stuff, not like, you know, whatever yeah, other yeah. <laughs> yeah, meeting yeah, at yeah. a bar you, you, you're used to. But how do you actually, you know, create a group like that? And, and what yeah, does yeah. it look like and what are the benefits? Well, um, you know, what I have found is when we want to foster these kind of relationships, the way to do it is to lead not with strength, but with weakness, right? So the more I'm willing to be vulnerable and open with you and drop the guard and talk honestly in the present tense about where my struggle with, my struggle with porn is largely in the past, but struggles continue. I've got, <laughs> I'm forever tempted to find some way to avoid life's difficulties, right? Uh, so I uh, talk in the, so a willingness to talk in the present tense. We also, we have a structure more or less. Uh, it's not supervised, but we say, you know, Christianity properly understood is a team sport, not an individual event. We are all, you know, colossal failures as solo disciples for a simple reason. Jesus doesn't have any solo disciples. <laughs> That's never been his plan. So, um, I believe that God will give all of us a team, probably not the team we would select. Uh, it won't all just be guys just like us. There'll always be a lead person on that team, somebody we're communicating with, hopefully on a daily basis, in a relationship that benefits him as much as it does us. Uh, we call that guy a Silas. So we say, you know, get yourself, find a group. Uh, and then find yourself the first Silas. And a Silas is somebody who gets to know your story. He's a guy who asks the questions you tend to avoid, remembers the things you tend to forget, uh, maybe notices patterns you don't see. Mostly what he does is he reminds you who you really are. And, uh, and you have a, a, a daily conversation with that guy in which we have that recommended kind of four point, you know, <laughs> structure for the conversation. Lead off with what you're feeling. Um, you know, we do irrational things for non-rational reasons. Our heart is driving us and what we're feeling is the best predictor of what we're most likely to do. So let somebody know what you're feeling. So you tell them what you're feeling, then what you're thinking and what you're doing. And finally, kind of a preemptive confession, what you're thinking of doing. And uh, it's amazing when we're willing to just have that conversation, trust somebody with that. Now, we are not alone against our ancient enemy. It's not just, 
the game changes. The game changes completely. And it helps single guys. It also helps married guys immensely. One of the great complaints I hear from women is that their husbands don't have any friends. And one of the reasons that women wives tend to like Samson and kind of push their men toward the meetings is they like what comes back because it's in those meetings and in those conversations that we men learn non-sexual intimacy. And those are skills we can bring home. We can start to have those conversations with uh, our life partners. Yeah. So that's Samson. That's great. That's wonderful to hear. Um, so then speak to the guy who, you know, is hearing all of this, uh, wonderful stuff about, uh, having meaningful relationships and what you guys do Mm -hmm. at Samson, you know, maybe he has a men's small group or some sort of fellowship at church and it isn't what he wants it to be. And he's not experiencing those relationships there. You know, what tips can you give him to kind of help lead that fellowship or that men's group to be a bit more authentic, to be a bit yeah. more beneficial? Yeah, yeah. Once again, once again, my my recommendation is lead with weakness. Be as vulnerable as you can. Now, it's going to make some people, especially if it is a group that has always been careful to wrap up every conversation with a solution and a scriptural citation to always be positive uh, and uh, always talk about sin in the past tense if we're going to talk about it at all and 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 remain mostly conceptual and biblical in a theological sense rather than a practical sense um, what may, here's what what I find is you drop some signals. <laughs> by being vulnerable and you say unexpected things you you give guys things they could hurt you with because you're not afraid of being hurt right what hap- what will ha- it may take a few weeks it may take a few months but at some point somebody's going to say you're going to get a phone call or a text and somebody's going to say hey could we have a talk because what i have found is that when i am vulnerable that way and, 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 and weak and don't try to be a big spiritual success. I become the safest guy in the room. And when a guy is finally ready to talk, I'm the guy he's going to talk to. And now if there are two of us who start to talk that way, it makes it even safer for somebody else to jump on board. So that's the strategy that I would recommend. Yeah. That's really helpful. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I got two more questions for you. Uh, Okay. uh, The next one is just, uh, you know, you have been free from, you know, your past life for Mm -hmm. quite a while now. Um, How have you dealt with kind of the temptation to go back to your old way of living? Yeah. Well, I've got a great forgetter. Um, And there is kind of this phenomenon called, uh, you know, fading affect bias, where, you know, over time, we tend to forget the unpleasant uh, facets of an experience and recall and maybe even exaggerate the, the pleasant ones. I mean, and, and, it's, a, and it's a useful thing. Uh, with, you know, if it weren't for fading affect bias, no woman would have two children, right? Um, <clears throat> however, um, I can, over time, from time to time, have these flashes of euphoric recall where I can remember just the high points of one of those episodes and forget just the abject misery that I was swimming in during those years or the avalanche of shame that followed every... So what helps me, actually, is uh, (laughs) I stay on the front lines of pulling other guys into the boat. And I hear stories of pain and loss and misery on a daily basis. I don't have to go back to those days because I hear other guys and I help them. Um, uh, It also helps, uh, you know, I've got to stay sharp and I've got to stay healthy and I've got to stay sober in other ways. 
if you know I have found that there are other ways for me to medicate that uh, uh, so for me you know, I'm kind of ambi addictive the ground is always shifting so I can medicate with work I can medicate with alcohol I can medicate with food uh, and uh, you know having ongoing conversations with those I love and those I trust about those issues so that I can stay clear-headed and clear-minded really you know, helps keep me safe from going back to that place I really don't want to go back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, may the Lord continue to give us strength to, to persevere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some days it definitely ain't easy and I can definitely, you know, ident- identify with you when you say, you know, we find other ways to medicate that are just yeah, as, yeah. just as evil. Sure, uh, yeah, yeah. Might, yeah, yeah. Might not be as shameful to the outside world. I can medicate with religion. I yeah. really can. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh like you said at the end of the day, we just become Pharisees that look mm-hmm. right on the outside, but our insides are completely rotten. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for uh, sharing, you know, your life experience and your wisdom with us. I want you to speak to the man who has been struggling with porn for a long time and, you know, has seen little success to show for yeah. it. How would you encourage yeah. him? Do something different. Uh if you've been trying to outthink porn, uh, it, I, I would strongly advise you to abandon that strategy. Uh, this is not a thinking thing. This is driven by the heart. Uh, I would advise you, if you have not seen uh, a CSAT, a, a certified sex addiction therapist, to, uh, or at least uh, a Christian therapist uh, like those at Titus II, who uh, are current, who know who know what's going on in compulsive sexual behavior, and and have a gospel perspective on it, get some outside help, uh, and then I just cannot overestimate the value of having brothers. At its root, this is an intimacy disorder. We long for connection. We need connection. Pornography offers this false connection, this fleeting moment, this, this, uh, you know, this appearance of connection that doesn't last and only leaves us lonelier. The, uh, you know, the only thing that's going to meet that need is real connection. And it isn't just sexual intimacy that we need. It's intimacy and non-sexual intimacy. By the way, when we learn it, makes sexual intimacy so much more fulfilling if God should ever place that, give that back to us. Um, so find a place where you can be, uh, where you can connect with people, not just on an intellectual level and not with casual conversation, but on an emotional level. Find trustworthy people and connect and don't try to beat this thing by yourself. That's excellent advice. Yeah. Great. Well, brother, um, it's been a joy to have you. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners a bit about uh, where they can find um, yourself online, where they yeah, can yeah, connect yeah. with Samson Society and all that? Sure, sure. Uh, they can uh, find the Samson Society online at Samson, S-A-M-S-O-N, no P, by the way. People always want to put a P in Samson for some reason. SamsonSociety.net or .org or .com, I think. And there they can sign up for uh, a newcomer meeting if they, uh, or they can actually search for local meetings. Local meetings are now gearing back up uh, around the world. Uh, but you can find friends and connections there, thousands of guys. You're going to find people whose story sounds eerily like your own. Uh, and you're going to find guys who have hope and direction. And uh, you can always you can always reach me at uh, nate at natelarkin.com and I'm happy to lend any uh, advice uh, or help I can. Mm, That's great. Well, thank you 
once again for sitting down with us, Nate. God bless Thanks, you George. and your ministry. It was a joy. And uh, blessings on you and the whole team at Titus 2. What an amazing story of God's grace that Nate was able to share with us. And also the importance of having those meaningful, redemptive relationships in our lives as men. And so, brothers, I encourage you, whether that is through our online exclusive community, the Titus 2 Overcoming Porn community, or his Samson Society groups, or uh, men's groups in your own local church, or groups with other believers in your circle, whatever it would be, that you guys would pursue these uh, godly, authentic, and meaningful relationships where you are, are both pressed to grow and to challenge each other in the faith in your life. And I hope that for you. And I hope that God will give you as well an amazing testimony that you can share with others on how you have overcome your sexual sin. Well, brothers, um, it's about that time to end our episode. But as always, the victory is ours, and we'll see you next time. God bless. Hey, brothers. Are you struggling with porn? Have you tried time and time again to leave it behind, but you keep falling into the same cycle of committing sin? feeling immense shame, getting back up at square one, only to fall again? And all along the way, you feel like you're dying a slow death. If so, then I invite you to check out the Titus 2 Overcoming Porn community. The Titus 2 Overcoming Porn community is the exclusive online membership community for dedicated men who want to cut off pornography and live in lasting freedom over sexual sin. So whether you're falling daily into pornography and masturbation or you have made good progress and you are just looking for further growth and accountability, then the Overcoming Porn community is perfect for you. Our membership community combines teaching, counseling, accountability, and community to give you everything you need to overcome porn. You will be plugged into a powerful community of men who understand your struggle, and who have the ability to mentor, encourage, and empower you on your journey to freedom. We will be with you every step of the way. So check it out at Titus 2 Institute. That's Titus with the number 2 Institute.com forward slash overcoming porn. Overcoming porn has a hyphen in between. That's Titus 2 Institute.com forward slash overcoming dash porn. And remember, brothers, the victory is ours. Thank you for listening to the Overcoming Porn podcast. We hope that this podcast and our other resources can equip you to find freedom over porn and lust. Please visit Titus 2 Institute. That's Titus with the number 2, institute.com for all of our other resources.